all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. I've had a few patients now that were in remission, were doing great, and then I heard from them like six or eight months later saying, oh, I'm starting to have some symptoms again. I'm really scared it's coming back. And I say, okay, well, hang on. Before we get panicky about that, let's look at what your adrenals are doing. And because obviously when people start feeling well, they kind of drop off doing supplements and herbs. They, they get their treatment fatigue. So they, they start feeling well. They do less. Sometimes the diet starts falling backwards a bit. They get busier, get you know back active in life, catching up on all the things they couldn't do. So what I found is that there is this pattern where several months after going into remission from Lyme, they get symptomatic, but it's actually not Lyme coming back. It's adrenals. This podcast is sponsored by the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your Lime Guide and acupuncturist McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 238 with Dr. Nicola Ducharme. Also, welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora. Hello, and in this episode, you're going to learn three main things. How neural retraining can drastically improve your ability to heal, which genes get turned on by Lyme disease, and how addressing your subconscious directly is tied to recovery. Thanks, Aurora, and a big shout-out to you longtime Lime Ninjas. You're the reason we have more than half a million downloads. Aurora and I really, really appreciate you tuning in. And we'd also like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. That makes you now an official Lime Ninja. Welcome, official Lime Ninjas. And as you know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week we have listeners join you from all over the world. And this past week we've had listeners tune in from London to Paris and from Phoenix to Tunkhannock. All right. Which is in Pennsylvania. No way. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say New Zealand, Australia. No, no, no that's a Native American right name. Right down 81 in Pennsylvania. Hello, Tunk Hannock. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about today's guest. We've had her on the show a few times before talking about her books, Dr. Nicola Ducharme. 
And this is from her website. Dr. Nicola is a licensed naturopath doctor trained in both the United States and Australia. She is the founder and medical director of Restore Medicine. And she practices holistic medicine, specializing in Lyme disease, and is now recognized as an international Lyme expert. She has authored several books on Lyme disease, including the best-selling The Lyme Diet, The Beginner's Guide to Lyme Disease, Lyme Disease in Australia, and Lyme Brain. Awesome. Okay, McKay, why did you want us to talk to Dr. Ducharme? Well, she fits in our Lyme Journey Guide in a couple of places, but primarily she has a new educational video out. And she's got two versions, one for practitioners, really. So we're not really talking about that one. So if you're a practitioner, it has more technical information. But the basic educational videos that she has can be really helpful. A great place. You know, sometimes it's hard to read a book and focus for that long, especially if you have Lyme disease. A video is a way that you can take in the information more easily if you're struggling on the neuro side of things. And really... You can put this in a couple places. One is in the beginning, getting your mindset right, you know, so you're ready to attack Lyme disease and go through the ups and downs and the twists and turns. You know, it won't be an easy journey, but you'll have an idea of, of what you're facing. So it can be used in that. And it also can be used in preparation for your treatment. So you can get an idea of the different types of treatments that are out there. And so you can plan your sequence, have your plan A and plan B ready to go. And if those don't work, you can move on to plan C and plan D, so to speak. So there, it's a great resource. And we wanted to bring her on the show to talk about that. That said, here's our interview with Dr. Nicola Ducharme. Hello, Dr. Ducharme. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. It's been a couple of years since we've last chatted. And to I'm curious because, you know, I'm treating Lyme disease too. You're treating probably a lot more than I am. And what has changed in your understanding of the disease, your treatment strategies in the in the past two years? What's what's got your interest these days? Yeah, well, first of all, good morning and thank you for having me. It's great to be back with you again. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've always treated Lyme sort of very integratively. So I do um, combine sort of more allopathic antibiotic approaches with a lot of naturopathic support. And, you know, that's sort of one of the things that stays consistent for me. Um, and that's really very much kind of the foundation of, of how I approach things. So, um, in the last couple of years, I have, there are a couple of new things that I'm sort of paying more attention to, a couple of new things that I've been able to trial with my patients. Um, one of them that I am uh, kind of becoming a really big fan of is the DNRS system, the Dynamic Neural Retraining System. And that's the program that's put out by Annie Hopper. And I've had, you know, a solid handful of patients who've gone through that program and are doing really well with it. And it's all just based on limbic system dysfunction. And so that's something that I've really been liking. I guess the second thing I would bring up is just this increasing correlation between mold illness and Lyme disease. And, you know, it's getting to the point now where I'm pretty much testing all my Lyme patients for mycotoxins 
um, because it just seems to go together so much. And, you know, I look at the three big things that can really kind of cause a lot of these chronic health issues being chronic infections like Lyme, um, mycotoxin illness and heavy metal toxicity. You know, they're sort of my big three. And then, you know, other things like adrenal fatigue and thyroid dysfunction and all of that that kind of shoot off from that. So I've definitely been um, kind of paying more attention to mold. Um, and then the other thing I've been looking at is more uh, cellular activation. So looking at NERF2, um, which are protein synthesis pathways within the cell, and they turn on and off certain genes. And so we can use natural NERF2 activators to sort of turn on the healthy genes. And that reduces oxidative stress dramatically. It helps open up detox pathways. It helps regulate some of these gene mutations like the MTHFR. And, um, and then, you know, helping with mitochondrial repair as well. So, you know, I've always known that treating Lyme is so much more than treating Lyme. You know, it's, it's a whole person. It's a big picture. This allows me to really start very much at the cellular level. And I found that not only for the majority of people does it pick up energy and brain function and just helps with the symptoms, but it seems to set the stage for the rest of our treatments to work well. Um, so they're probably the three biggest things, the, the nerf 2 activation, the DNRS, and then just the recognition of mold and really trying to explore that, you know, in conjunction with the infection piece. So I'm somewhat familiar with the nerf 2 and the mold. The DNRS, we actually interviewed a young woman from Sweden, and this is, Jesus, probably a year ago now, but she was one of our first guests and just incredibly sick with Lyme. And what turned her completely around was Annie Harper's system. It was like she just regained control of her brain and nervous system and right. the whole thing just calmed down. So what what is the limbic yes. system and what's it doing and what goes wrong? Yeah, I'll, I'll try and explain it the best I can. I always feel like I explain this really badly. I'm always like, go watch Annie Hopper's YouTube video. <laughs> she does it so much better than me. But, I mean, essentially the limbic system is a part of the brain. And it is a part of the brain that regulates a lot of our autonomic nervous system. Um, and, and it also has a big role in regulating, like, emotional states. And, um, and you know, it can be where trauma is housed and all of that. So, we know that trauma, um, negative emotions, big stressors can influence the limbic system. And in, I always describe it, it's like the wiring gets tangled. You know, our brain is just this whole sort of huge freeway and uh, wiring and, and there are neurons that run. And we're learning so much more about neuroplasticity, meaning we can influence our brain patterns and our neurons we can grow new neurons we can strengthen neural pathways we can weaken other neural pathways so we have much more influence over our brains than we ever thought so i know one of the applications for the dnrs system is like post-traumatic stress disorder emotional dysregulation um you know trauma in the body and but that's only a part of it you know we also know that chronic infections and chronic toxicity um, can monkey with the limbic system. And so then the signals that get sent to the body are, you know, erratic signals. They're not sending healthy neuronal signals out to the body. 
And so we get this situation where once the limbic system dysfunction starts, it's very hard then for the brain to give the body sort of normal healthy signals. And that's where things, that's where the symptoms kind of play out. So her system um, enables the the user, the, the patient, to help to untangle those unhealthy neural pathways and create more healthy neural pathways. And, you know, that plays a lot into hormonal regulation. It plays a lot into immune function, nervous system function. You know, every single system in the body is influenced by that. And so, you know, another thing I like about the program is the way it's actually administered, if you will. So she does offer um, in-person seminars that are, I think, five days long, perhaps. And they're in a variety of locations, you know, around the country, North America, Canada. She has some internationally as well. But people can also buy the DVD series of the program. And now there's a streaming, like an online version. So people who can't travel or people who, um, you know, aren't well enough, can't afford to take a trip and go and do the in-person, can do it in the comfort of their home. And it's about 17 hours, you know, plus minus one to actually study the program. And then there is a commitment of an hour a day of of kind of practice, of doing exercises um, to put that into place. It's it's like anything. You can't just decide that you're going to be fit. And, you know, if you don't go to the gym, you're not going to be fit. You can you can watch all the videos about getting fit, but you actually have to go do it as well. Um, so it's like that. It does require a commitment. An hour a day for six months is the minimum. Um, but what we see is profound shifts in people's ability to heal. And so Lyme symptoms go away. Mold sensitivities go away. Um, multiple chemical sensitivities is another big thing that it that it really helps. And all those prior emotions, negative emotions and traumas and such, they can be kind of dissolved as well through using the system. So just to give you a very quick example, I had a patient, I'm going to do an interview with her, a Facebook Live with her, um, because she had such a profound experience. But I was treating her for Lyme and co-infections, and we had those pretty much calmed down. And she was doing a lot of mold work as well following the shoemaker protocol and was just getting worse and worse. I mean, she had two houses she couldn't live in. She had to get rid of her car. She got rid of most of her clothes. And every time she was in a moldy environment, her skin would burn. That's always been her hallmark thing. She'd have this burning skin. And within a month of doing the DNRS, she has no more burning skin. And she has none of that really hypersensitivity to mold that she had before. And I just think that is so powerful and so crucial because, I mean, I think the mold thing's a bigger issue than the lying thing these days. I mean, people are losing their homes. They're going out and living in, you know, metal campers out in the desert. Like this total avoidance thing is so emotionally and physically, financially challenging. And it's, it's, it's really got me concerned how many people are sort of going down that path. So I think the DNRS, you know, has wide application. But that was one, you know, you could think if you're full of mycotoxins and can't be around any mold without, you know, feeling like you're on fire. And then within three or four weeks of practicing this program, she can go back to that moldy environment and not have any symptoms. So what's your take on how calming our stress or reorganizing our brain calms our immune system down? 
Where do you, where yeah, do you see I the mean, interface? It, 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 well, I mean, I think just the more we can calm, the more we can get our neurotransmitters functioning well. Um, I mean, nothing in the body is really and truly divided. So what we want to do is try and, you know, calm the nervous system and calm the immune system so there's not so much inflammation because inflammation sends chemicals called cytokines and chemokines. And those chemical mediators can cross over into the blood, cross the uh, blood brain barrier, excuse me, get into the brain and then cause the sort of neuroinflammation there. Um, and so, you know, with the, with the neural retraining, we see it impacting every system of the body. I mean, I see hormonal changes through, no doubt, through the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And um, so being that our central nervous system is the, it's the main computer. It's a central processor. The more we can get the brain healthy, the more other um, other systems come into line as well. It's incredible. We do like to kind of simplify things and pull them apart so we can understand what we can understand. And when you start tying it all together, it reminds us of how elaborate and interconnected and wonderful it all can be. And to think that you can support the inflammation's resolution, I'm sorry, the, the immune system's uh, inflammation and the resolution of that just by working on getting your mind straight is, is mind blowing. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it really is. And I mean, you know, even outside of this program, um, I have encouraged people for years to do a number of different modalities. I mean, I always have liked EFT or the tapping technique just as a way of calming the nervous system and breaking some of those, um, those not those gaps, but, you know, the stuck places in the nervous system function. Or um, the other one would be some, like, healing meditations to listen to. And even though it's sort of like a self-hypnosis kind of meditation where it's really sort of talking about and in, in in brewing the the healing part into it, not just let's just sit and be relaxed for ten minutes, but really sort of getting to the subconscious level in the brain and programming healing into the subconscious, and that's not necessarily easy to do because we're such conscious thinkers, right? That monkey mind that we have going on and all those sort of negative thoughts. And you know, I feel like you and I've talked about this before, but you know, I think. When people get into a position where they are chronically unwell, it's very easy for the negative um, thoughts to to take over. Very easy for for the hopelessness and the um, the fear and the um, not thinking that ever anything's ever going to change. You know, all these different dynamics uh, really sort of are prevalent in in these people, and to some extent, that's just who that's our design as humans. Like our conscious mind is designed. For our survival so it's always looking for what's wrong it's always looking for what if um and we have to recognize that our mind is not who we are it's just the chatterbox in our head and we don't have to believe it we can just say thank you for that thought and i'm going to choose to believe something different um but where the real power is is in the sub subconscious mind and so i feel like the kinds of things that get to those deeper levels um, can be very powerful as well. And so I think those, you know, guided meditations or self-hypnosis or whatever the, the, the case may be, we just want to do 
we want to bypass the conscious mind and get deeper into the subconscious because whatever is rooted in the subconscious is what plays out. Um, and so, you know, I've sort of thought about that for a long time. Um, and I do feel that, you know, mindset, like the conscious thoughts that one chooses or allows to happen in their brain also has a, a role in, you know, illness slash recovery. Um, I've got some patients who are just always positive, like no matter what, they're like, I'm going to get over this, I'm going to get back into my life. Um, and, you know, those kinds of things, I'm sure they don't really think it all the time, they have to choose to think it much of the time. But, you know, I've always been a big proponent of that, because I had a patient come into me every visit for six years saying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And six years later, she hadn't, you know, she's, she's still alive. But you know, it was just kind of that that negative thinking that I think just doesn't help. I had a patient this morning who came down with hepatitis A from a restaurant many, 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 many years ago. And mm -hmm. she credits meditation, uh, as guided meditation, some imagery work on cutting her recovery time in half. And she just simply held an image of her liver and it shrinking and going back to its proper size. And some, sometimes those things seem so simple that, oh, it can't work for Lyme disease because Lyme is so powerful and scary. But our body is pretty powerful too. And if we get things lined up going in the right way, it can make a huge, huge difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's just... I also tell people, look, this is something that you can do for yourself. You know, you're not reliant on a doctor for this. It doesn't cost you a cent to do this. You can do it at home even when you're lying on the couch feeling, you know, like you can't, don't have the energy to do anything more. It's something, it's their choice to do it or not, but it's something that's within their grasp. They have, they have full control over it. So let's change subjects here and let's talk about mold for a little bit. And... Why do you think it goes hand in glove with lime? And I'm going to kind of see the, the conversation. Is it that the lime is leaving an opening in our immune system? Or do you think mold's just uh, becoming a nasty and there are just more virulent molds out there and we're exposed to more than more mold than we have been in the past? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things, to be honest. I mean, I do think that there are genetic predispositions um you know and a lot of that relates to one's ability to detoxify so i think there's a couple of different elements going on one is that i mean they both uh provide a major stress on the immune system so to some extent it's it's probably like a total load issue we were always taught in naturopathic school in environmental medicine about this concept of total load so somebody might be able to tolerate a bit of mold Somebody might be able to have, you know, a low-grade Lyme infection that may or may not be activated. Um, somebody can probably have some amount of heavy metals in their body. We're all exposed to some amount of environmental toxins and pollution. And I think, you know, it, a lot of the times these levels just sort of rise and rise and rise, and th then they get to a tipping point where the body just can't cope anymore. And I've certainly seen a lot in my Lyme folks where, you know, it seems like they probably had a Lyme infection that, that way predated when their symptoms got really severe. And then something happened that tipped the balance, you know, a 
surgery, an accident, a loss of a loved one, a divorce, you know, whatever the stressor was, um, sort of tipped the balance. So I think with the lime and mold piece, I do think people are more prone who have issues uh, with detoxification. Um, and that can be a genetic thing. And we can we can regulate that to some point. But I do see the people who end up with both are usually the ones that have trouble with detox. Um, and then, like I said, I just do think it's a total load issue where the immune system just gets overwhelmed. You know, I was listening to an audio book while riding around and mowing my lawn over the weekend. And, <laughs> and they brought up a classic cancer experiment that I, I hadn't come across before. And the classic experience is they take a, a, a little chick, and forgive me, people out there, if you're getting a little bit upset by that, but science works this way sometimes. And they injected cancer on one side of the, the chick on the wing and just did a, a wound on the other side, a puncture wound on the other side. And... The, actually, they're inject. Sorry, they injected a virus that they know caused cancer every time. So the side where the virus injected get cancer, which they expected. But also, what they found was that on the opposite side, where there was just the wound, the cancer also grew. So you're talking about you know Lyme kind of being there and maybe hanging out, and something else comes along, and and we get to a tipping point. There's absolutely these systemic effects. Uh, even from local infections that can happen and definitely something as systemic as Lyme, or even if it isn't systemic, you know, if it's behind a biofilm or bird into some cartilage somewhere, it changes everything and definitely sets us up. So, you know, I'm really thank you for talking about the, the connections with mold there and how they really do go together. And speaking of that, do, do you find parasites to be on that level too? Are you looking at parasites as well? And more, I'm talking about more larger things, flukes and worms type size. Right. Yes. So I'm hearing that more and more in my patients. Um, so I definitely think that there, that that's, you know, a thing as well. So I do incorporate like anti-parasite treatments and sometimes I'll do some of the medications. I don't do the really super duper aggressive anti-parasite protocols that I see floating around. Um, I just feel like that many medications, that high of a dose for that period of time. I mean, maybe that's what's needed for some people, but I feel like that's a lot of stress on the body. Um, but we can do combinations of different medications and combine them with um, antiparasitic herbs and then always with biofilm busters, you know, always with biofilm agents because I do feel like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff that gets tangled up in there does relate to biofilm as well. And a lot of people are seeing a lot of mucus and, and things like that. So you know, trying to kill those things off at the same time. And also coffee enemas. I'm a huge proponent of coffee enemas for a number of different reasons. Um, but once people start doing coffee enemas, they start seeing a lot of stuff coming out. So, I mean, coffee enemas are great for the immune system. They're great for detoxification. But they also do have that sort of more local action of clearing some of those parasites and some nests of candida and things like that. Does coffee activate NERF too? Um, coffee enemas will. They do boost glutathione. I haven't seen direct research on NERF 2 from coffee enemas, but I do know that they boost glutathione production in the body, um, which is one of the ways they help detoxification. Glutathione to me is one of the most important 
um, molecules that we have in our body for a number of different reasons. And NERF2 activation does boost glutathione production. The research shows about 300%. So I don't know what the number is with coffee enemas, like the percentage, um, but I do know that coffee enemas do boost glutathione inherently, yeah. And then one other question about what you've brought up. What's, what are your favorite biofilm busters? Do you use pharmaceuticals or herbs or all of the above? You know, I use more the I, – I typically use – I've always been a fan of lumbrokinase. And I feel like, you know, looking at Eva Sappi's work, you know, if you compare lumbrokinase to natokinase to serapeptase, lumbrokinase did come out ahead. Um, and then I will sometimes combine it with something like an Interphase Plus, which I'm pretty sure is made by Claire Labs. And that's just a combination of different enzymes as well. Um, I've done a few experiments with like stevia, with uh, monolarin. Um, I just haven't necessarily seen evidence of that. You know, sometimes when I put people on biofilm stuff, they do have a Herxheimer reaction because, you know, we are opening up new bugs to be killed. Um, and then another product I really love is Biocidin. It's a herbal antimicrobial, but it can help with biofilm as well. So um, especially if somebody is struggling with candida, that's a really good one to incorporate. And do you use the capsules, liquid, LSF, the liposomal? Yeah, liposomal. So if I'm using it more for intestinal yeast, then I use the, the liquid. Mm -hmm. I only really use the capsule for people that really don't like taking herbal liquids, although I will say biocide might feel like tastes pretty good um, compared to a lot of the others. So capsules I sometimes use if that sort of just suits the person better. Otherwise... If I'm working more locally in the gut, working more for candida, then I'm fine with the liquid. If I'm trying to do get get broader um, activity, more systemic, more crossing over to Lyme and co-infections as well, then I use the liposomal. And since we're getting into into products here, do you ever use their toothpaste to recommend their toothpaste? I've used that and I really like it. I have used their toothpaste and. I like it too, and they have a good mouthwash that goes with it. Um, yeah, so I like it. I think it's a great company. I use their GI Detox is an amazing binder. Um, they've broadened the formula now. It used to be activated charcoal and perophyllite clay, and I couldn't name the other ingredients off the top of my head, but they have sort of upgraded the formula, and I really like it. And I do use quite a lot of binders um, in my work, both with the lime and with the mold, and sometimes with the mold, you know, Sometimes I will ramp it up and do the cholestyramine, but not everyone can tolerate cholestyramine. Yeah, it, um, and so the GI detox definitely helps when people are having Herxheimer reactions, and it's in capsule form, so it's convenient, and I really like that. Okay, one one last question, then we're going to get into your teaching that you're doing, your online teaching that you're doing. And yeah. that is, what has where are you with testing? for Lyme and what do you use and what are you looking for to kind of come online in the next few years to really, to finally put this sucker to bed so we get some good testing? I know. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. um, million dollar question. So, I mean, I still use Igenix. I've always been a fan of Igenix. I love their Western blots. Um, I like now that they're testing for tick-borne relapsing fever as well. I have had some folks come back negative on the Borrelia burgdorferi, but come back positive on the tick-borne relapsing fever. So I like that they've added that extra thing and they're doing immunoblocks. And so I feel like they're 
you know, they're kind of keeping up. I've always been a bit concerned about the co-infection testing, um, being that I feel like there's lots of false negatives. So, you know, in the immunoblot, I can look at the bands and get a good sense of what's going on, regardless of whether the result is positive or negative. You know, if I have someone that has three bands that are fairly line specific, but they're indeterminate, so it's not a positive result. But to me, that's still clinically significant. So that's what I like about the Igenix testing is that, you know, we can look at those different markers, look at the bands within the results and sort of, you know, get an interpretation that that makes sense to us as clinicians. Um, the co-infection testing, I feel like it adds a huge cost and I've never been 100% confident with it. Um, and, you know, bearing in mind there's no line test that's 100% reliable. So this is not, I'm not implying that it's poor testing. I'm not saying that I have huge respect for Igenix. Um However, when people are paying a couple of thousand dollars out of pocket per panel, you want to feel like you're getting good results. So what I have started doing a bit more now is doing the Igenix Borrelia testing and then doing DNA connections for more of the co-infections. And that does have Borrelia um, in their line panel. It has 17 different markers, you know, spread between Borrelia, a couple of strains of Babesia, Bartonella, Ehrlichia. Um, so it's a fairly broad spectrum test and it is a PCR test, meaning it's looking for the DNA of the bugs in the urine. It's not an antibody test. So if someone's really immune suppressed, it's not going to compromise it in the same way as it may do for an immune, a test that relies on immune function, which the Western blots do. So I think that's kind of an interesting combo. Now, there have definitely been times that DNA connections results have come back and I've been like, oh, I don't <laughs> know about that. You know, I'm pretty sure they have Babesia and it didn't show it. So we we have to just kind of always keep it in the clinical context. But it's a $600 panel. It's a urine panel. So sometimes it's easier for kids. The one caveat is that it's very important to provoke it, meaning either a deep tissue massage beforehand or quite vigorous exercise beforehand which I've always thought was really ironic, right? For having Needing to have vigorous exercise before yeah. a Lyme disease test. Um, but if people can't do that, they can do the massage. But it really does seem that stirring up the metabolism does make a difference to the results. And so I always make sure people are really clear about that. But, you know, for $600, and I don't feel that it's any less sensitive than the Igenix co-infections, so that's what I do. I do a combination of DNA connections and the, the, the line, basic line testing through Igenix. And then sometimes once we've kind of got to the end of treatment um, and are sort of trying to figure out, okay, what's going on now? Are we really done? Is anything showing up? Then I like the DNA connections for that because it's a PCR. So if something shows up on that, then we're not quite done because if it shows up on a PCR test, then it means that it's there in the body. Now, it may just be a low level and that the DNA connections will show if it's indeterminate or if it's NPS, non-protective size. Um, so it may not be, you know, a huge overwhelming infection anymore, but it does show that there's still something there that we need to address. So sometimes, it, you know, when somebody's either sort of 80 or 90% better and we're just trying to figure out what's the missing link 
you know, I'll say, let's do the big three. Let's do the heavy metals, the mycotoxins and the Lyme PCR. And we'll see what we get from that. And sometimes I'll do a microbial organic acid too to check what the candida contribution is to the problem. Um, But that's sort of a helpful way, in my opinion, to kind of really sort out what's playing a role now. Is the Lyme, you know, are we done with that piece? Maybe mold is more the problem, you know, and kind of try to sort it out that way. You know, you bring that up. I think that's such a major pivot point or touch point in treatment journey is you get to the point where the major infection or infections is is on the run, maybe not 100% gone, but mostly on the run. And there's still a lot of symptomatology. And the the main thing to do, uh, the main trap we fall into is to th- just think about the infections. It's all about the infection, all about the infection. I have to keep killing, keep killing, keep killing. But you have to think outside the tick. You know, like you said, the, the heavy metals, uh, maybe the mycotoxin, uh, which may be a, a, a another good idea, or or other, what do I want to say, nutritional things that have kind of fallen apart during the chronic illness. So whether it's oxalates or I don't know, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but that sort of thing. And it's such an important thing to do is not to get stuck on the infection side of thing and bringing up the PCR test to kind of give you an idea is where are you in in moving the infections out of the body. You know, do we need to still stay here and really still work on clearing them, resolving them? Or is it time to broaden our approach and look at some other things that may be keeping us sick? Exactly. And, you know, the the candida and the adrenals are two that, that can be a little bit of collateral damage from the treatment too. So I would say... Thyroid, that too, yeah. Thyroid, definitely, yeah. Um, I've had a few patients now that were in remission we're doing great. And then I heard from them like six or eight months later saying, oh, I'm starting to have some symptoms again. I'm really scared it's coming back. And I say, okay, well, hang on. Before we get panicky about that, let's look at what your adrenals are doing. And because obviously when people start feeling well, they kind of drop off doing supplements and herbs. They, they get their treatment fatigue. So they, they start feeling well. They do less. Sometimes the diet starts falling backwards a bit. They get busier, get, you know, back active in life, catching up on all the things they couldn't do. So what I found is that there is this pattern where several months after going into remission from Lyme, they get symptomatic, but it's actually not Lyme coming back, it's adrenals. And so then we just have to rebuild adrenals and, you know, get them back on their happy way. And same goes for candida. And I love the microbial organic acid test. I do the one from Great Plains. Because it it shows the metabolites of candida and it puts a number on it. And, you know, I was with a patient yesterday and we were looking at her son's results. And, you know, last year when we first tested the arabinose, it's meant to be less than 29, I think, or 29 or 20, can't remember, 29. Um, and it was like 130. And then we treated and then we repeated it and it was at like 35. So where there's so much ambiguity in these chronic health issues, I think we really want to hold on to like, the really objective data that we can and so you know sometimes when it's when things get confusing because there's so much overlap of symptoms between mold and Lyme and candida and adrenal fatigue and all these different things that's where I love the functional medicine approach which means let's test your adrenals let's do the microbial organic let's do the heavy metal test let's do the mycotoxin test 
granted these things are you know spendy and out of pocket and we I'm not one to over test if I can help it but it does come up it came up for me just yesterday we had you know a young girl that um is mostly well but still has some symptoms here and there and so that's what we decided to do is just kind of repeat get try to get objective data because we can guess all day long and you know obviously with 15 years of clinical experience I think I'm pretty good at sorting stuff out but you can't sort everything out just by looking at it because especially if people are doing some Lyme treatment and some mold treatment and a variety of different things, at some time you just got to say, let's just gather the data and then we know where we're at and then we can hone what we need to do moving forward from here. Right. Almost, almost starting from square one again and saying, let's, you know, expand our view. Let's take a look, take a step back, take a pause. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when I'm treating Lyme, I don't do a lot of retesting. I know some docs that require hygienic panels every three months or whatever. Wow. I, I'm not that way. I, I, I get a lot of feedback from how people are doing and what I'm hearing and what their symptoms are doing. So I work mostly off that. Where I like to incorporate the treatment is if it's confusing. When we know we have two or three different stressors on the body and there's so much overlap of symptoms and we're like, well, this could be mold, but it could be Lyme. But it could be this, you know, that's where that's the point where I really think that doing that testing is so valuable. Brilliant. Now, you have a new project that brings all of this together into an online education. So what what possessed you to take on another massive project? <laughs> <laughs> no. Somebody stop me. I mean, <laughs> that's it for a while. That's it. I have these ideas and then they just, you know, they just like bubble, 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 bubble until I actually see it through and, and do them. This took me two years, I have to say, but, you know, between practice and a little girl and, and whatever, I just, you know, do what you can do. Um, but yeah, I really did. I love to teach. I will say I love to teach. I love to educate. That's one of the big things I do when I'm face to face with my patients. But I thought, you know, how can I get my knowledge and experience out to a broader group of people? And realizing that not everybody can afford to go to Lyme literate naturopaths or Lyme literate medical doctors, you know, the majority don't take insurance, mostly for sort of self-protection reasons, because it's still such a controversial field. Um, so I thought, well, what about if I built an online course that people could learn from the comfort of their home um, and and go back to time and time again um, to reference back and and so, you know, I know books are that way too, but this is so much more comprehensive. Um, it's 10 modules plus two bonus modules, one on CBD and one on essential oils. Um, and it's very, very comprehensive information. It's essentially every single thing I know about Lyme I made sure was in this program. And there is a patient version and there's a practitioner version. Um, but I go through everything. I mean, obviously, all the basic signs and symptoms, how to distinguish different co-infections. But I try and take it a step further than that. So like when we're talking about testing for Lyme, I mean, one could easily say, oh, well, there's just no Lyme test that's 100% accurate, but here's the options. So I talk about like how to make the most of your Lyme testing, um, what other labs you can get done that will help to reinforce the information you're getting. You know, a whole list of lab tests that I recommend other than Lyme testing, just to get a sense of what's going on in the body. Um, so all of those kinds of things. And then there's a whole module on allopathic treatment. So I talk about all the different antibiotics, um, antibiotic treatments for in pregnancy and for children, 
but again, going a little bit further, like what can you do when your antibiotics stop working? What what do you do then? You know, what are the strategies? What are the things you try? Um, so I talk about those things. There's a whole module on detoxification in Lyme disease. And that comes before any of the naturopathic treatment modules, any of the nutrition modules. The very first module in when I'm starting to get into the natural approach is detoxification. And it has its own whole module and a whole, you know, how-to detox guide that can be downloaded as a, as a PDF. Um, then I go into naturopathic treatments of Lyme. So we talk through, you know, all the different herbs, what, what are the biofilm breakers, what are the herbs for the different co-infections, you know, all of that kind of thing, um, and how to manage symptoms, how to manage the cognitive elements, the energy, the mood, the sleep, uh, the pain. Um, and different natural agents that can help people cope with symptoms while we're working on the underlying cause. Um, there is also an entire module on hormone regulation in Lyme. So I talk about thyroid, adrenals, and reproductive hormones. Um, there's an entire module on digestive issues in Lyme. Um, and that goes into things like leaky gut, candida overgrowth, um, gluten intolerance, food sensitivities, all of that. Um, and then there's a module on 10 things that can hold back Lyme treatment. And, you know, as you may imagine, mold is one of those things. I will say it's not a very deep dive into the mold issues just because that's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, but I do highlight 10 things that people can look at if they're not recovering, you know, the way they want to or they expect to. And then finally, the last module is on living with Lyme long term. And so I do talk about um, some of the stuff we touched on earlier about the emotional recovery and the psycho-emotional elements and sort of the importance of addressing them and some tools for addressing them. Um, but I also talk about what does recovery from Lyme really look like? And the, what's realistic? Is, a real, is, it, is symptom-free a realistic expectation or is there a certain amount of sort of having to learn to live with a certain part of a symptom picture um, and just kind of getting really real about that because I feel like it's something not many people talk about. No one knows what to expect, you know, towards the end. Um, and just I think it's just important that we have those conversations and set sort of realistic expectations for people. Um, my mind's reeling a little bit. I, I like to say that catching Lyme disease is a little bit like getting bumped <laughs> on the back of the head, stuffed in a trunk and dropped off in the middle of a forest or middle of nowhere. And you kind of, you know, you come to and you look around and say, what just happened? Right. You know, <laughs> and then it takes a while to figure out where you are, where you're going, what, what to do. You know, it's just, it's not easy. And this whole, mm -hmm. this whole last phase of healing, uh, the, the restoration phase, I like to call it, and it's so important that you, you brought up something earlier too, just staying strong. It's like everything is going great. And then you stop doing what's working just because it's human nature, not because there's anything wrong with you. And then the whole expectation thing is like, okay, you know, now it's time to, you're feeling better. You're trying to get back into work, but are you, are you really ready for a full-time job when you've been, you know, battling Lyme for the past five years, maybe you need to start slower, right? Uh, and, and, and just the other, the other part that I think is, is so important is that when we're in a healing crisis and we've cleaned up our environment from people who are not great people, we forget that out in the world, there are a lot of not great people out in the world. <laughs> 
and we forget we forget how to deal with them and we forget how hurtful they are so we you know we've come to this really soft place and we're taking care of ourselves and we're surrounded by love if we're lucky and we kind of our hearts go open and you go out in the real world and like people cut you off in traffic and yell at you you know and it's like oh my goodness i forgot about that out there so yeah the whole the whole reentry and the expectations of of others and ourselves is a massive part and that in and of itself you know we both have people in our practice who that's kind of their main struggle in life they they don't have an infection they don't have a chronic illness they just have too they're too sensitive right and these are our anxiety patients and 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 some other things going on with them but it's it's a big big problem with 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 this last little leg that can be as traumatic as as the initial diagnosis yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, sort of reminds me too, and I know earlier on I mentioned PTSD in relation to the um, the Annie Hopper system. But I mean, I legitimately think that a lot of our patients come through this with an element of PTSD because of everything they've been through, because of, you know, the 25 doctors that kind of, you know, either laughed at them or criticized them and, and t- couldn't help them and were rude to them. And, you know, the whole journey of everything they had to go through up until the point where they got diagnosed with Lyme. And then most of them are actually quite relieved to get diagnosed with Lyme because they've suddenly got answers and they can tell people, look, I'm not crazy. I actually have this disease. Um, But then there's all the stigma that goes with having Lyme and their friends don't understand and they they look good. So people don't think they're actually sick. Oh, but you look great. You know, which is probably the worst thing to say to a Lyme patient. Um, And, so there's a real lack of understanding about how severe it really is and how much they have to do and how hard they have to work to get well. I mean, you know, our patients are the heroes. They work hard, you know, at a time where they just don't have the capacity. They find the capacity because they have to, and they know that, and they pull themselves through and they get up and they take their pills and they take their meds and they take their herbs. And, you know, they do coffee enemas where probably once upon a time, they would have thought that was the weirdest sounding thing ever. So, you know, they, they do a lot, but I really feel like that ending, that the coming to an end and really trying to get full health back, it's imperative that they deal with that because otherwise that PTSD is going to be carried around with them and their body may be more healthy than it was, but now they're, they've got this sort of toxicity in their mind and not through any fault of their own, it's just the way it goes. So I think, and, you know, I love that Bob Bransfield talks about this and um, and he really sort of, he's really um, kind of putting it out as a statement about PTSD in Lyme patients, but I see it too in a lot of mine. And so I really encourage people to get, you know, counseling or um, energy psychology or even just doing the tapping for themselves or the DNRS program, something for that mental pattern that's kind of accumulated along the way thank you so much you've been very generous with your time why don't we wrap up by giving everybody information on how to get hold of you i'll also have this on the website and and give another push at the end of it and we'll have all the links and i know you've also given us a discount code woohoo Love, yeah, yeah. love coupons. Yeah. So <laughs> I would love for your um, for your listeners if they're interested in the Lyme Ed program. Um, I want to just, if I may, just take a brief second just to distinguish the Lyme Ed for patients and Lyme Ed for practitioners. Yeah, of course. We know that Lyme 
patients are very, very well educated and they like a lot of information. So the level of teaching, like most of the topics are the same between the two courses. Um, the differences are I go into a bit more detail and a bit more scientific in the practitioner course. Um, and then the practitioner course has an extra module on, you know, practice management considerations, you know, in a line practice, just a little bit more of the sort of practitioner oriented um, conversations. Um, so the, there's quite a lot of overlap. The practitioner course, though, just does have that um the extra module at the end that talks about, you know, some of the logistics of a line practice and how to get started and resources and things of that nature. And then practitioners who are in the course, you know, can also uh, reach out to me if they need help with cases or if they need a little bit of extra support. Um, so that's kind of the main distinctions there. Um, and yeah, you can get 20% off either one. The coupon applies to both. And for people who need it broken up into payments, they can also break it up into three individual payments. Um, so we have lots of options to make it accessible. And it then does give lifetime access. So you'll always be able to go back, re-listen to, to segments that you know may be more relevant for you at a, a certain time. So if you go to lime-ed.com, L-Y-M-E-E-D.com, um, that's the main page for the patient course, but you'll see if you're a practitioner listening, you will see a link from there that will say practitioner, click here, and that will take you over to the uh, practitioner version. And we also do have um, a free webinar on that page called um, The Importance of an Integrative Approach to Lyme that kind of sets the background of you know, why that's so important and what does that really look like when we say integrative approach? What does that actually mean? And then the course gives all the information about what that actually looks like in, you know, in process. Fabulous. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. That's a great interview. And, you know, I find it very interesting when back in the beginning she was talking about speaking and addressing the subconscious directly as part of that whole healing uh, treatment that she provides. No, Roar, we're really promoting with our Lyme journey guide the idea that there are three main phases to recovering from Lyme disease. And that's the reboot phase, and when you need to reset your expectations, reset how you're dealing with things, realizing that this is going to be a multi-year process and not something that you're going to get over with a month of antibiotics. So there's that reboot phase, right? Then there is the resolve phase, and that's where you get in front of the infections, whatever they might be, viral, mold, bacterial, multibacterial, co-infections. There's a whole, once your immune system gets wrecked, you're dealing with a whole lot of different infections. So there's that resolve. And it's not about eliminating every single infection from your body, you know, including in your mouth and your brain and wherever else might be hanging out, including parasites in your liver and all kind of gross stuff, right? It's it, just putting your immune system back in, yes, in charge. And that you're winning and that you're healing at that point. You're clearing things out. So that's the resolution phase, the resolve phase. And then there's the resort excuse me, restore phase. And if you've been sick and fighting for a long time, we know, look, we've all had the flu where that first day where you feel better, it's like, yeah, I feel better. And you go downstairs and then you're exhausted from walking down the stairs. 
there's a recovery phase from Lyme disease. And it's not like you've had the flu for a few days or a week. You've been sick for fill in the blank, months, years, some people a decade or more. It might take you a little while, i.e. a long time, to restore and to honor that process and to really work and regaining your strength and nutritional reserves that have been completely depleted. And Nicola's program, really, we talked about all three of the phases there, and I really like that. And the neural part of things, the subconscious part of things, really can be placed in two areas, right? It can be, you can do that right in the beginning as part of getting your mindset right on the rebooting phase, but it also can be at the end, once you've resolved your infections and things are moving forward, that can be part of thinking outside the tick, kind of the the beginning of the third phase of, of restoring. Because if you're ahead of the infections and they're mostly resolved, but you're still not feeling good, it can be a psychological, it can be PTSD type stuff. It can be just exhaustion and depression on a deep, deep level. Okay, if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, oh, before I go into the final things there, come visit our website. We'll have Nicola's books there. We'll have links to her website. So don't worry about writing down. Just visit our website, LimeNinjaRadio.com. You'll see her picture there and, and a link to the page. You'll have all that stuff right there. We try and make it super easy for you. So just go to LimeNinjaRadio.com if you're interested in learning more about Dr. Nicola and what she has to offer. Okay. And do you have any feedback and suggestions for guests? Send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. We would love to hear from you. And if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss an episode. And if you really like what we're doing, take one moment, five seconds, right now. I'll wait. And leave us a review on your podcast app. It really helps us reach more people like you. It really, really does. We've had three recent reviews. It makes a huge difference moving us up the iTunes ranking. And you you might think, oh, what? it's a big deal. One more review. What difference is it going to make? Well, with small podcasts like ours, if you're dealing with NPR, one review, it's one of hundreds, right? When you're dealing with the second-tier podcasts like us. (laughs) Second-tier. Not in quality, hopefully. Niche niche (laughs) podcasts like ours. One review can make a a big, big difference. We reviewed some of the other podcasts out there, not just in the Lime space, but in other places. And some of them only have five reviews. We've got quite a few. We've got like 72 stars, right? So that's the quick one. You just hit five stars or four stars, right? And then 30-something written reviews. And believe it or not, that's, that's amazing. Yes, that's way ahead of most other podcasts of our size. So that's awesome. You guys are doing a great job. If you haven't left one recently, <laughs> like in the past year, or if you've never given us a review, we would really, really appreciate it. Just one or two a month will skyrocket, shoot us way up the rankings. And the point of that is not to feel good about who we are and, yeah, pump our chest, beat our chest. Yeah, we're number one. No, it's not like that. We're never going to be number one. But what it does is it helps people discover the podcast. And you know how many people out there have Lyme disease and don't know it or don't know what to do. 
and they need this information. They need this information. So if you are so inclined and have the mental capacity, and I don't mean that in a mean way, like if your brain's working today, go ahead and leave us a review. We would really, really appreciate it. We really do. Yes. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know hypnotists can bend spoons with their minds? Ninjas can bend minds with their spoons. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.